Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We're here to discuss X-Men Uncanny, number 224, December 1987 issue, said uh, on sale September 8th of 1987, cover price 75 cents. This one's titled The Dark Before the Dawn. And as I talked about in the last handful of issues, the backgrounds were blue. Well, they decided to mix it up here and make the background stark red. Mark Silvestri, not a guy who likes a lot of detail in his backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, so this one, you've got Longshot. He's uh, saving a girl from a uh, convertible full of guys. And Havoc is uh, getting ready to shoot him. She lost her shoe. She did lose her shoe. It looks like a banana. It's uh it's it's well drawn, but it's it's super boring. It's a super boring cover. T shirt test though. Oh god no. <laughs> really? Well no, you, it's not fair because yeah, <laughs> if somebody put this on a t shirt, it, it has the eighties nostalgia on it, so yes, I I buy it. But I'm the only person that probably buys it. <laughs> No, there are hundreds more like you. <laughs> okay. I mean, if not thousands. Yeah, I think the t-shirt test is flawed in that regard. I've heard that uh, 80s nostalgia isn't in right now. <laughs> no, nobody's nobody cares for 80s nostalgia right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't believe you. What was that movie that just came out? I finally saw it. Ready Player One. You should read the book. That's what you said. I heard the book was not good, though. Who told you that? Just stuff on the interweb. Oh, my God. You got to stay off that thing. <laughs> so here's what I'll say about the book is that it's uh, it's fun. It is brain candy uh, that you won't it won't change the world. It won't change your perspective on anything. You won't be challenged. It's chewing gum for your brain. Delicious hubba bubba chewing gum i heard and this is these are like from headlines of articles that i did not read but that it is extremely sexist uh there's i don't know i i, I don't know it's it's <laughs> it carries it's got some of the same like like twists as far as like well i mean in the movie and spoilers i guess at this point because i mean the book and the movie are, are fairly similar in at least the character setups uh, his best friend turns out to be a girl. Which, Whoa! What? Um, I called that. I guess that was, I, I... That's predictable. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I guess I don't know that I would call the book sexist. Uh, I, I guess I would, I would need to be pointed to a passage or a chapter. Uh, you know what would have been cooler but, is if his best friend was a guy who was in love with him. Right. Because he would have been like, whoa! Of course, it would have been handled terribly. So it's probably for the best that they didn't do that. See, I think in the book, when he finds out that his buddy is a girl, he's he's a little, he feels a little bit betrayed because, you know, they shared their innermost, deepest, darkest secrets about, you know, all the girls that he liked and things that he was into. And he felt that it was weird because now that his friend, who he thought was a guy, was a girl, like he shouldn't have shared that sort of information. But when it was revealed that she was a lesbian, then it was okay. Oh, weird. <laughs> I don't know if I'd call that sexist. I mean, I just, I think I'd call that more just not really understanding. Yeah, that just characters. sounds like, it, it doesn't sound like sexist so much as stupid. Yeah, but I mean, like, so, so never mind that because that's just like a teeny tiny part of the book. The rest of it is all, 
it, it Dungeons and Dragons references, 80s sitcom references, and action television show references, and references, references, references. And that's why it's brain candy, because... You know, you'll you'll read it and you'll be like, I also watched uh, that TV show or whatever. That doesn't really do it for me. Ah, well, all right. Fair enough. I sat down and I read it in two days. Wow. Yeah. And I don't really read books all that often. So Uh, I I dug the book. But but here's actually here's an interesting uh, uh, thing that happened is we were going on a road trip. And so I um, I told the kid i was like well hey why don't we on the audio or let's get the audio book we'll listen to ready player one the movie's coming out and we'll we'll listen to the book and then we'll go see the movie and it'll be awesome and it's uh read by will wheaton right so you got you got that going for you uh and as i was listening to it i was like all right (laughs) when it's not when i'm not reading it and i'm actually hearing somebody else read it some of it does sound kind of dumb because it gets like really into the weeds with with some you know nerd culture. <laughs> How long is it? The book? Yeah, a couple hundred pages. Yeah, two seventy nine maybe. I don't know, two eighty. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a average sized novel. Font's not too small. Um, Font's whatever size you want it to be <laughs> on a Kindle. True. I I actually read the paper version of the oh, book wow. yeah i felt the wasn't that wasn't that too heavy for you <laughs> i know we had this conversation but see the marvel method book that we were talking about that's a hardbound book and i swear that book's like 600 pages <laughs> it, it is probably almost 400 maybe maybe 450 yeah. pages i'll say so uh i guess to bring it all full circle i wasn't all that impressed with the movie uh, i thought the fight scene at the end was fun just because you got to see all those various characters but it wasn't it, a lot lot of the charm and nostalgia and the things that made me enjoy the cleverness i guess that made me uh, enjoy the book just wasn't there right like that b- big stupid car race scene in the beginning of the movie that's that's a, an original design for the movie that did not exist in the book and i thought the race was stupid oh well yeah so i mean i didn't hate the movie I, it was it was like i i went into it knowing like well there's so much going on in the book that there's just no way that they're going to be able to license all this, and there's no way that it's going to translate to cinema. Nobody wants to watch uh, a Dungeons & Dragons character play an avatar, a game of Joust. Like <laughs> It might make good reading because you know it's, it's fairly well written, but it's probably just not going to work on the cinematic screen. Although, I would also argue that a good director could probably put that scene together and make it work. Maybe. But... Anyways, there, we'll, we'll never there, know. There, there seemed to be a lot of reliance on knowing uh, uh, about adventure. Well, I mean, adventure is the catalyst of the book as well. In fact, the book opens up with the whole thing about adventure, and it's not like, a, hey, guys, did you know an Easter egg in adventure was this? That's the game that we needed to play to solve the whole puzzle. That wasn't there. Yeah, that was all kind of like... I, I would imagine that if I didn't know anything about all that stuff already, I probably would have zoned out and just been like... Whatever's happening is happening. I think adventure film. (laughs) I think the book, or I'm sorry, the movie, and actually the book uh, had a fair enough amount of exposition that if you didn't know what was going on, you'd get enough to be like, okay, I can follow this. So perhaps I don't know. Anyways, there you go. That's a a 
seven-minute review of Ready Player One book and movie on the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. Join us next week when we're going to talk about our, our... What are we going to talk about next week? Wait, was I supposed to review it? Oh, didn't we just review it? Well, you did. Oh. Uh, I thought it was okay. Okay. All right, moving on. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, so the cover is uh, adequately drawn. We already talked about that. All right, let's open this thing up. Storm is wearing some whoa, sort of... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Credits. Oh. <laughs> wow. Uh, Chris Claremont is the writer, as always. Mark Silvestri is penciling, but Bob Wiasek is in as guest inker. Glennis Oliver is the colorist. Tom Orzakowski is lettering. Anna Senti is the editor. And as we mentioned last week, we have our new and returning editor-in-chief, Tom DeFalco. And he says, rock me, Stormadeus. That's French for Tom DeFalco. <laughs> is that is that French for Tom the Falco? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a storm. She's uh, she's standing in front of a fire. It's uh, it's all wintry out, which is weird because last issue it was summer, but they did touch on that. Mm-hmm. And she's wearing a kind of a cool '80s Indian getup. And what I thought was interesting is uh, maybe maybe you knew this, but. I didn't because I wasn't paying attention. I thought they were in Africa or just somewhere foreign this whole time. But apparently, <laughs> no, they have been in the continental divide near the valley of Yellowstone, Wyoming. Yes. I didn't know that. They are, they are firmly in the States. I feel like this is the first time that they're telling us that this little sub story is taking place in Wyoming. Maybe not. Um, I'm not sure about that, but I, I, I couldn't tell you one way or the other. Cause I definitely was not like memorizing where they said it was. I, I think one time it was like a place he, in another time, another place or something yes, like that. Another place, another time was definitely a location. The Rockies. I see that that is mentioned yeah. the Rocky mountains. So that's, that's firmly in okay, the okay. U S Yes. That's that's as far back as I'm willing to go. She picked up some of this gear. It's uh it's pretty cool. It's uh, apparently it's tribal gear. Storm wonders where it came from and Naze is like, Hey, we this used to be our land. We got caches of weapons and food and clothes all over this place. You just gotta know where to look. And I'm a medicine chief. I know. <laughs> yeah, so they need to kill Forge. <laughs> He explains that the weather is messed up because of Forge, and Forge is going to use superpowers to uh, wipe out all life in the universe and then start it over because he's possessed by some guy named the Trickster who is like some sort of godlike being who uh, sucks away all of life and then starts it all over. He's attempting to start a big bang. I don't know if the Trickster's a universal-level sort of guy of of the Beyonder or if he's just like an Earth-based thing. We never know. He's the adversary. Yes. I don't know. I feel like maybe in Fall of the Mutants we learn a little bit more about this guy, but... It's definitely a possibility. He's otherworldly as far as I know. Based on how this ends, it's it's almost a certainty. Ah, yes. And uh, so they, they get ready to part ways because Storm has to do the rest of the journey up uh, Forge's mountain by herself because Naze is old? No, because Naze... Uh, says that Forge has all these devices ah, and right. things de- able to detect him, but he's not expecting Storm, so none of his magic will detect her. So as she turns to head up the hill to go slay Forge, Naze grabs her, turns her around, and plants a big, wet smooch on her. I don't like this. I don't know. That's weird. 
And I think the reason I don't like it is because we know that Najee is a bad guy mm-hmm. and it puts some sort of like, it makes us think that Storm is not smart for not knowing that. I, I don't, I don't like having this kind of faults in my heroes. I like having heroes with faults. I just don't like, I don't know. It puts, it, it, it makes her lose a little credibility. Hmm. I, when he grabs her and flips her around or pulls her around in panel three there, she looks very, um, what's the opposite of dominating, dominated. Dom- sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the word I was looking for, but, but, uh, it, it very unstorm like, uh, I feel like if anybody's given anybody a kiss, it's storm giving somebody a kiss, not the opposite way around or right. Like she did to Wolverine. Right. Not, uh, an annual ago. Right. Exactly. Um, but maybe with all the stuff that's happened, I don't know. I should mention that the last couple of pages, uh, Najee is written very much like Wolverine. He has practical Wolverine dialogue. Mm. If I close my eyes, well, then I can't read the comic. <laughs> but <laughs> if I hold my hand over the panel and just read the words, it might as well be Wolverine. Sure, sure. He says a little something to remember me by. Storm's like, hardly little, and a memory I shall cherish. And this isn't earned either. This, there, there has been, there has been no romantic tension between them. There's only been this kind of gross lecherousness coming from him. I guess that's part of the problem. Is this feels gross? Right. And I, why doesn't Storm see that? <laughs> I agree. Um, anyway. Anyway, so, so she takes off and, and she's like, uh, I'll cherish that memory until I return. He says, I hope you do, but I wouldn't count on it as she's walking off the distance. And then he breaks the fourth wall and starts talking to us and says, me? Oh. I don't much care either way what happens, just so long as when the game is over. And he starts fading away, I think. He says, I win. I don't think he's talking to us. I just think the camera is in in the position where Storm was just walking away. Uh, I, you're probably right, but the way that the trees are drawn in the background, like I wish there was a little difference because to me, it looks like he's facing one direction and then it looks like he turns around and no, starts talking right. to us. But I, I think you're right. I think he's just kind of talking off to the distance uh, to Storm, but it just feels like yeah. it's drawn to be like, guys. This is now what's that you, really happening. Now that you pointed that out, I can I can see that. That's that's yeah. I don't think it was intended that way, but you're right. The 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 trees kind of make it look like he just kind of turns around and yeah yeah yeah. If uh, yes, if if the trees weren't there, or if there was just a completely different pattern of trees, I'd be like, oh okay, we we flipped the camera around. But I blame the colorist. Yes, it doesn't really matter one way or the other, but. Back in San Francisco, Valerie Cooper's there, and she's got a couple members of uh, Freedom Force. She got Destiny and uh, Crimson Commando, and she's like, "Look, wow, this... good on you for remembering his name. <laughs> it's not even in here. <laughs> it's not. I does. I don't even think he gets to talk in this issue. No, I'm impressed. <laughs> he uh, or she, Valerie Cooper is like, this is why Freedom Force exists because people like the X Men and the Marauders fight and hospitals get destroyed. Everywhere they go, things break. A little bit of back and forth. She announces the uh, Mutant Special Powers Registration Act, which I guess is going to uh, equate anybody with special powers uh, that are similar to weapons to be a, a, a weapon and treated as a weapon, I suppose. You license a gun. Why wouldn't you license a person and his powers? 
Yes, the press is wondering about the civil liberties, the ramifications of the law. What about democracy? Isn't it to protect the few from the many? And you, putting the Freedom Force, uh, who are a bunch of criminals, isn't that like putting the fox out to guard the chickens? Well, this is a weird conversation because they make a lot of good points, but nobody really ever answers anybody and they just keep moving. But that's probably really like real life. Well, Val Cooper, she blows it off. She's like, I prefer to say, set the fox to catch other foxes, which is a total sound bite that would be used on the news. <laughs> then there'd be Probably. no follow-up question. Like, oh, good point. Foxes get foxes. Wait, <laughs> is that is that how that works? <laughs> oh, she's gone. And then we see the uh, ripple effects of this news report uh, at a bar where people are talking about mutants. Or I guess the gym. They're not at the bar. This is a gym. Yeah, they're at Murphy's Gym. And uh, they're watching the TV and Valerie finishes and says that She's giving her convicts and outcasts that it, uh, form up Freedom Force the a second chance, just as the original criminals that were brought to the U.S. were given a chance to prove themselves in society. And I'm going to say this as Murphy says, makes sense to me. And then customer number one says, bull, crooks belong in jail. So, yeah, waves, like you said. Yes. And we drill further and further into the gym where we see rogue she's using some gear that are you sure this isn't murphy because he's like you know rogue i only bought the exerciser from the fantastic four as a gimmick i didn't know anybody could use it this guy's name is joe they 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 refer to him as joe better let not let joe hear that chump considering Uh. who's in the private gym with him and is Joe the guy that she rescued a couple issues back, or is that somebody else? Didn't that guy have hair? He had hair. You're talking okay. about, like, the construction worker. Yeah, 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 that guy. He had hair. And he was a short guy. Well, I mean, okay. I guess Joe could be short, too. Uh, but yes, she's, she's yes, this thing that was designed for the thing, it works well, and I'm having a good time exercising with it. Apparently, Joe bought it when the Fantastic Four was having hard times and had to sell some of their stuff. And he bought it as a gimmick. But uh, Rogue loves it. Mm-hmm. A woman walks up and she's like, wow, that's impressive. Can I watch? Rogue's like, ew. And for a second, I thought this was Madeline Pryor. <laughs> it looks like she's got the red be. hair and yeah, yeah. Sylvester draws women similarly. And uh, she's like, no, I want uh, this to be a private workout. And it turns out that this woman is actually Mystique. And Rogue is so happy. Mystique, I'm losing my touch. I used to always guess who you'd look like, and they hug, and Rogue mentions that she has to be careful because if her skin touches hers, if Mystique's skin touches Rogue's, she'll absorb your psyche and power. Every issue is someone's first. And Mystique's like, I'm your uh, adopted mother. (laughs) You don't have to tell me this. Yeah, Rogue whispers, someone's first issue. Oh, 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 that's right. And she says, uh, she said, Destiny has had a precognitive, precognitive flash. Precognitive? Precognitive? Yes. Sure. About the X-Men and their very new future in or around the city of Dallas. The X-Men are all going to die. So you should come with me so that you don't die. And she says, I can't. Uh, They're my family, and I care about them as much as I do uh, care for you. So I won't be walking out on them. But you'll walk out on me, says Mystique. It's not really fair, but okay. Yeah, well. Meanwhile. Mystique is sad. She cries. She sheds a tear. 
As she should. Possibly unbeknownst to, to Rogue, we, we're not sure. Sure. We flip our attention to a the Club DV8 on Mission Street, or in the Mission District. And uh, Lila Shanae, I'm going to say it that way, <laughs> contacted the club and said, you should totally book this girl of mine. She used to be a backup singer. And they do, and nobody expects much out of the performance, but everybody's dazzled by Alison Blair and her beautiful voice. Pure as a choir girl, one song earthy and wispy, uh, whiskey rich like Joplin the next. Some schmuck who's had just a little bit too much crashes into the lighting rig and blows out all the electrical for the lights only. Which I got to say, having worked in the electrical department, if one light goes out and it conks out the entire bar, that is a bad setup. This is a bar, though. I mean, I I think you'd be thrown off a movie set if you had one light that somehow magically controlled all of the lights. This is a bar that does, like, uh, uh, concerts. That's true. I guess it's not like a, a a dive country bar. This is this is DV8. This is Club DV8, man. Yeah, somebody's getting fired. Somebody should definitely get fired. So everyone's like, "Oh, the the show's over. She can't sing in the darkness." But Dazzler's got her own light show, and she kicks it into top gear, sings light show, and then we get our classic little bubbles of like, "Hey, what's going on? This is awesome. She's glowing. She's a beauty." Who cares? Blah, blah, blah. Music rocks. I like music. She should really have an acoustic set ready for times like these. No kidding, right? And uh, so the performance ends. Everybody's happy. She can't stop glowing because she's so excited. And in the back of the bar is a man in a cowboy hat smoking a cigarette. Who's none too pleased about this. Hate to spoil things, Allie, but you... Better start figuring how much this will cost. You're a mutant dazzler and an X-Men. Go in public with your powers like you just did, like you did a couple of years ago back when Dazzler the movie almost came out. <laughs> May not have been the smartest of plays. Actually, never mind. Everybody knows you're Dazzler. I don't know why I'm being such a bug up my butt. <laughs> right. Uh, the one detail here that I like is that Wolverine's cowboy hat has a rising sun on it. It's kind of neat. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and so he's like, uh, don't be sorry, girl. Just think harder. Think better next time. And that's when Rogue opens the door and says, there may not be a future boss for any of us. And Rogue is wearing a cool 80s lab coat. Yeah. She just got out of a music video, probably. <laughs> Havoc and Longshot were at the recent screening of Raiders of the Lost Temple. Temple. Oh, boy. <laughs> You know what? I totally overlooked that, and what? I just thought it was Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> oh, no. I had no idea it was a stupid knockoff. Yeah, of... this has been an awful gag ever since I was a kid. <laughs> just don't call it either one or the other or just something else. Don't yeah. call it Raiders of the Lost Temple. Yeah. And it was a double feature because after that, they went to go see Return of the Empire Strikes New Hope <laughs> Wars. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, uh, long shots like, that was awesome. And there was a girl in that movie named Ricochet Rita. Maybe we could be friends. Well, this this is very confusing. Right. Because how does he not know who Ricochet Rita is? Are we getting like a retcon here? Also, there was a stuntman in the movie, the same name as me. Clearly, that was him. Oh. So, like, this is the movie they shot. So is he just like, did they, did he, has he forgotten? Did he get hit over the head? What is going on, Jeremy? 
Well, the first thing I can say is I don't think we ever find out. Second thing I can say is I don't think it matters. <laughs> um, it really feels like Chris Claremont took long shot on but didn't want any baggage. But then we get this cute little reference, which I don't know, I guess goes against what I just said, because <laughs> if you don't want to deal with the baggage, baggage, why would you even mention this? And so it's at this point where I'm like, because I haven't read this issue in a long time, and, and honestly, it's not one of my favorite issues, where I'm like, oh, Ricochet Rita, is that the girl on the front? Like, is he going to save Ricochet Rita? That's what I thought was going to happen, too. I mean, spoilers, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is pretty confusing. So when I was a kid, it was never confusing because I'd never read the Longshot miniseries. Uh, but now that we've read all of this, I don't know what's going on here. Maybe the Longshot long miniseries is a future long shot. Oh, wait. What? Well, I don't know. Long shot is able to time displace travel, <gasps> right? Oh, so you're saying that this long shot is young long shot, and then, like, in the future sometimes that adventure is going to happen, but it's going to shoot him back in time to film that movie and do all that stuff. Yeah. And then he goes wherever he goes, which, honestly, I don't know where that is. It's the only thing that makes sense. Oh, I like that. Uh, uh, let's go with that. Let's pretend that that's what happens. Okay. Even though, doesn't the Longshot miniseries kind of show the origin of Longshot? Like, isn't he, like, birthed out of a pod or something? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, but, but but I mean, that could have taken place before this. Like, parts uh -oh, of that miniseries okay. could have taken place before this series. I don't know. It's, it's There's probably some, like, panel in some issue of X-Men somewhere that totally blows this theory out of the water. Sure, sure. But, uh, but that's how I'm explaining this. Do you think Raiders of the Lost Temple is uh, a mojo picture? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, well, it, it, you're look. Okay, there was that guy with the hat mm -hmm. that we saw a lot who we kind of speculated was mojo. Right, right, right. And maybe he really is mojo. It never turned out that he was, but it's possible. Oh right. wait, didn't he? Didn't he end up killing himself? I don't remember. He had, he tried to kill Longshot by dumping him in the water, and then he felt really bad about it. But Longshot was fine. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. Did <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this ring a bell? <laughs> was there? Was there? Were they by a bridge? I feel like they were by a bridge. I think so. Yeah. 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 Anyways, uh, after th oh, there's a so long shots like jumping all around and and Alex is mopey. Uh, there's a dog next to a fire hydrant who looks at long shot jumping over it and he has a big question mark speech balloon. So bizarre. I don't know why that exists. Presumably, maybe that dog is uh, the Impossible Man. <laughs> he's not green though it's the wrong color yeah <laughs> yeah well maybe it's mojo in disguise like i wonder what people thought of my movie i'll disguise <laughs> myself as a dog it's the beyonder and uh so as, as they're continuing on some thugs decide to kidnap a girl and shoot some people they shoot some cops oh yeah yeah and they jump into their converter converter convertible all out of the cover and they drive off with the girl to have some fun to party. And Longshot doesn't like this, and Alex doesn't seem to care. So Longshot jumps up on a parapet or something and uh, uses his Longshot abilities to Spider-Man across a couple of buildings and swing onto the uh, Cadillac that he throws a couple of Longshot darts into the tires of. Blades? I don't know what you call them. What are his weapons? Little knives. I don't think they have a specific name. Longshot knives. <laughs> sure. And he manages to grab her out of the caddy and swings away. And she says, my hero. Huh? Was that what gives? Hey. 
and they crash into a light pole. Havoc walks up slowly, calmly, and says, you had enough boys. And he, I don't know, he melts their car. With his Havoc powers. Yeah. You see, fellas, I'm a mutie. I project energy plasma in a highly excited state. I melted your car. I can do the same to you. And that's when Lieutenant Morell comes uh, by the scene, and uh, they're the bad guys. Are like, can we be arrested now, please? No, Havoc's powers go Shazam. Oh, that's weird. It's spelled differently, but <laughs> it's more like Shazam. 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 It's... How do you say How do you say Shazam without saying Shazam? Shazam. Shazam. It's Shazam. I don't know. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's not Shazam. It's Shazam. Yeah. Well, Lieutenant Morell. No how you say it, it sounds the same. Lieutenant Morell is here because uh, she wants to war- warn the X Men that a federal task force, Freedom Force, is in town hunting the X Men scalps. It's a little weird. You're good people, Lieutenant. Too bad there aren't more like you. And because of the hearts in this uh, scene, I thought they were forming a love connection. But then I realized, oh wait, it's Longshot and the girl in the background. Well, I like it because it's the girl with a bunch of hearts and long shot with a bunch of red question marks. Yes, he what? doesn't know what's going on. I don't know what. It's girl. <laughs> ah, Alcatraz, which is their temporary base. Uh, doesn't Alcatraz become their permanent base many, many hundreds of issues later? I don't know. If it is, it's probably a nod to this. Maybe. I feel like half the X-Men move over to San Francisco when it's the Cyclops X-Men versus the Wolverine X-Men. Oh, then they live on uh, they live on Magneto's Island there. Uh, Genosha? No, the 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 asteroid asteroid M oh. falls falls into the water and forms an island. I thought it already came, fell to the earth. Does it fall to the earth again? Oh, maybe it already fell to the earth and they just moved it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think that's what happens. Who knows? Retcon this that. The sure. other. So on Alcatraz, they're suiting up. Um, I guess I don't know what I don't know what they're going to do, but we're getting all the exposition right now. Storm's like, yeah, destiny, precognition, des, des, storm. Oh, rogue. Uh, she's talking all about the backstory of Mystique and, and Destiny and how they're her step parents and precognition and death to the X Men and Wolverine's like, well. You say the key is Storm. Storm's on a private mission. I think we should go find her. But I can't ask any of you to come with me. So I'm going to go. You guys can come if you want, but no hard feelings if you don't want to come. Now, we've seen mention of this precog thing twice, and no one has yet mentioned Storm being the key. Correct. This is the first time that we're hearing that Storm's the key, and it's it's Wolverine who says Rogue says that Destiny said that Storm's the key. Could Rogue be lying? She could be. She could totally be lying. <laughs> Nobody's heard it from, like, the source. Maybe Rogue just misses Storm and is like, we should really get Storm back. I know how I can fool Wolverine into getting Storm back. Yo, Wolverine. Also, like, Destiny never said anything about Texas to Mystique, so maybe Mystique made that up. Oh, sure. Everybody's it's just cool. making everything up. I think so, because all Mystique said was the X-Men are in danger. Yeah, no, Destiny. And they're going to die. Or, yes, Destiny. Destiny, Mystique, they're all the same. (laughs) And so, one by one, the X-Men are like, well, we're a team and family. I'll come with you. You could have my axe. And the the blacksmith holds up his steel and says, let my steel be by your side. Yes. And the tailor says, I will knit you some leather armor. (laughs) I don't know. Yes, all the X-Men are coming along. 
And shocker, Madeline Pryor's there, and she says, Count me in, too, Wolverine! The devil I will! You're not an X-Man, Madeline, or even a mutant. You're a civilian. This isn't over, or this isn't your fight. Moreover, we can't spare anyone to look after you when things get rough. And she's got a good point here. She's like, look, if I don't go with you, the Marauders are going to kill me. Guaranteed. If I come with you, I might die. So I'd rather those odds than the other odds. So what do you say? Havoc's like, she's right, you know. I'll watch out for her because she's my wife's. My brother's wife. And we get the stupidest silhouetted Wolverine panel of him looking back at Havoc with a big growl. It's like, <laughs> uh, I like it. I mean, I don't want to say like it's it's good or it's even in character, but I like the drawing. It's it's like the Wolfman just suddenly decided to show up in the pages of the X-Men and scowl at Havoc. It's good teeth, good eye. Havoc, you shut up. But it doesn't really make any sense because Wolverine should be like, yeah, you're right. As leader of the X-Men and, uh, you know, even though Scott's kind of a jerk, he was an X-Men. This is his wife. She's totally going to die if we don't take her. Come on, along with us. And hey, you're an ace pilot. But Wolverine doesn't remember that. It's Rogue that remembers that. No need for the grumps, boss. At least with Madeline's, we finally got ourselves the first cap out, and you don't have to put up with me anymore. I'm a second-class pilot. All the way. I thought all the X-Men knew how to fly the Blackbird. Not as well as Nightcrawler. (laughs) That's true. And not as well as Madeline Pryor. He's the doctor. He's the pilot. I bet Scott's a pretty good pilot at this point. Oh, yeah. He was flying around with Madeline. Betsy tries to telepathically connect to Storm, but is unsuccessful. Well, partially unsuccessful. As we turn the page, we cut over to Storm in Wyoming, and she hears a whisper on the wind call her name. She assumes it's a whisper on the wind, but maybe it was Betsy. We don't know. No, it was, it it was do- Betsy. It doesn't matter. I think the you know sure. panels imply that it was definitely Betsy. There's some black... Oh, she's climbing up a mountain right now, by the way. Yes. Uh, some black lightning occurs uh, from a cloudless sky. It's very spooky. It's a, an avalanche happens, which forces her to uh, crush as closely as possible to the mountain. Some dragons come out of the mountain, and that's uh, she's pretty much thinking, oh, they're going to kill me. Like, what can I do against demons? I'm on a mountain. Kind of stuck. But they phase right through her, and they're not even physical, I guess. She climbs up to the top. If you're reading the comic book, you'll get the Fall of the Mutants promo page where all of the mutants are laying on the ground dead. Oh, no. You know what cover I speak of, right? Spoilers. Well. Uh, yeah, I think it's the cover of the uh, Fall of the Mutants omnibus. Yeah, well, it very well could be. With Wolverine in the front with his claws up and everybody's dead behind him. Trail of dead bodies. I feel like this might have been a cover that was used for Marvel Age. Possibly. But anyway. I can flip to the back of the omnibus and see if there's any of this garbage. Let's see. Oh, yeah, there it is. The Fall of the Mutants is always darkest. Dot, House dot, Ad dot. By Alan Davis and Paul Neary. What? That must be the cover? Well, it says the, uh, the, the house ad was by Alan Davis ah, and Paul Neary. Gotcha. So, I don't know. Yeah, so she's making her way up to the top of the hill. She sees Forge off in the distance, but there's all these, like, demons and stuff. And now they're not phasing through her. Uh, They're physical. If they can hurt her, she can hurt them. She's able to handily take care of a few of them. But there seems to be an infinite supply of these demons, and they just keep coming. She slits one's throat. Yeah, she, she ain't messing around. 
Uh, I don't know. Eventually she makes her, she, there's a lot of fighting. She says, I cannot abide. And then the only thing I could think of was the big Lebowski. <laughs> the dude abides. The dude abides. And finally she gets through the horde of demons. Uh, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to talk about in that like four page of demon fighting. I personally found it very boring. I didn't find it boring, but yeah, it was kind of like, you know, um, pointless. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it could have been. It could have been done in a few. I guess she had. She had to think through this yeah. about how arrogant they were being, and and she takes advantage of them. And the two whatever. takeaways I had were that at the kind of at the beginning of the fight, she's like, "Oh, I can never make it through there. There's way too many of them." And then she gets to the end of the fight, and she's like, "Wow, Naze must have cast some spells because here I am. I made it through all of them." I guess the point of the fight is to put her through a slaughter that makes her kind of. Uh, uh, crazy. She's she's in a she's in a crazy killing spree right now. Yeah. So when she sees Forge and she shouts Forge, we get a shot of him turning around and he's well, like, not only that, I think it's also there, there's a there's a uh, a bit of thinking dialogue where she she starts to realize that she used to be re, uh, relying on her powers too much and there's so much more to Storm than just her powers. She's got her training, she's got her athleticism, and she's got you know some of her other natural abilities that she's able to use. And so she's keying in on those to get through these demons. Uh, so I think it's just making her aware of the rest of herself. But then I would also agree that yes, I think it's probably put her into this kind of bloodlust state that right. by the time and she gets to Forge. She shouts Forge and he turns around and he's got this lovelorn look on his face like, I didn't expect to see you here, but I love you. And, and actually, she's got a look on her face like, I'm going to kill you. It's, is it just me or does the panel where Forge turns around and he's got kind of this little goofy grin, does that kind of look like an homage to some of the life death panels? Oh, maybe. It kind of looks like it's that same art style. Very thin lines, very, uh, there's like three colors in this uh, well, maybe four if you count black. It's a very good drawing. I mean, he definitely looks like he's happy to see her. Yeah, like and you, surprised yeah. at the same time. What are you doing here? Like, get up here, you crazy kid! <laughs> <laughs> but yes, then we switch back to the the comic book already in progress, where Storm is just angry. She got her knife out, and she runs up and stabs him. Yeah, pretty much straightforward. There's a little bit of a dialogue in between where Forge asks, "How'd you find me, and why are you here?" and and she just runs up and stabs him. Naze showed me the way, and I have come to put an end to this madness. And he falls to the ground, and she says, uh, the gates you seek to open would have destroyed the world, and I cannot allow that. And that's when Forge says, you're wrong. I was trying to close the gate, not destroy the world, Storm, but save it. Come on. So the demons regroup, they get their power back or whatever, and they start going up to the top of the mountain, the peak at which Storm and Forge are. And Forge, I think it's Forge. Yeah, it's Forge. Grabs he her. Kicks, he kicks them off. And pushes them off the the cliff and they they disappear i think they're consumed is what what the panel says and we see like a yeah. little light go flying off into the atmosphere but it seems as though nays thinks that that's it they they're dead well there's there's something about their soul they have they have soul light so pure it burns but we get a cute little line of dialogue as they're jumping off the cliff where she says i was wrong and he says you were tricked and she says forgive me and he says always it's nice <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a true love, I guess. Love, love, love. Love conquers all. <laughs> yep. 
except this this time. <laughs> uh, uh, you saw the movie Brazil, right? The Love Congers All Cut? Yeah. Yep. It's terrible. I, I've seen all the cuts. Oh, do you have the Criterion collection? I used to, but I sold it. Oh, I still have it. I wonder if it's worth any money. But uh, the lo- it's it's a that movie and its cuts are just fascinating because yes, I'm pretty sure I saw the Love Conquers All version in the theater, and was like, well, that was that was was that neat, was a movie, but but that was weird and <laughs> yeah. not really that good. Uh, and then you well, it wasn't it wasn't bad either. I think it was just it didn't really like it wasn't anything. It was just kind of like, well, that was weird, and I like it because it was weird, right? But beyond that, there really wasn't much to critique about you almost think it's it's weird for the sake of being weird and and that might be okay but then you know many many years later when i picked up the criterion collection and i watched the full cut which is i i what 40 extra minutes something like that a lot like the love conquers all cut ends kind of where the movie begins and i and i say that i I say that in a jest because there's there's a ton of movie that occurs after the love conquers all cut ends which which always fascinated me that that's because they kind of go riding off into the sunset in the back of a pickup truck if i'm remembering this correctly but then as they get farther and farther in the distance like the set pieces are pulled away and they're like back in the tubes or whatever i don't know i might have made that up but it was something along those lines where uh they were not going off into the sunset they're going back into more madness and weirdness I don't remember. I do. I do recall that they used footage from another movie to end it somehow or something like that. Oh, really? But I, I could, I could be getting that confused with something else. But yes, I agree with you. It was totally like watching the three different cuts back to back, and also watching all the documentaries that they did about them. All of that was was very fascinating, uh, interesting, fascinating. So yeah, when when you say love conquers all, that's that's immediately where my mind goes. But this comic book isn't over. It's just almost over. It's it's kind of over. Uh, Naze uh, says he wins. <laughs> yep. He blasts down Forge's Mountain and says, they're gone. They were the one people that could get in my way. And now my fun's beginning for as long as I want it to go. This world is mine or something like that. Next issue. False Dawn. Yeah. So, ah, uh, filler. It's, it's, I wouldn't say filler. I'd say it's set up. Eh. The pieces are being put in place in a very slow manner. And slow is not bad, uh, but slow is not bad because there's a lot of character development. You get some cool dazzler bits. But um, we've seen we've seen that dazzler bit over and over again. The the mystique and the destiny stuff that could have been interspersed in other issues. And we've already seen uh, the Freedom Force is criminals who've been reformed on a pardon who are mutant hunters, like. This issue just didn't need to exist. Everything that that we've talked about, except for uh, the storm kind of getting to the climax of her story. And honestly, if other elements of that story had been collapsed in other issues, this could have been finished off in 2.23. And and it is what it is. And I think it it is what it is because they needed another issue to get to the summer months for Fall of the Mutants. Probably, yeah. So, I mean, there's, they've got a big event happening, which I, f- I forget if the... It seems like Fall of the Mutants are three or four separate storylines that just happen to all be about the Fall of the Mutants. I don't remember if they connect or not, but I could be wrong. You probably remember better than I do. I do. They, okay. They, Yeah. No spoilers. We'll get to it okay. when we get to it. Okay. I'm fine with that. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, so there you go. Um, we know communique this month or this week, but that's okay. Uh, if you'd like to correspond with us, please drop us a note uh, by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast. Follow us at danger room go. Email us danger room at xmenpodcast.com. You can uh, subscribe to us, leave us a comment, uh, leave us some feedback, leave us some stars over at iTunes. Just go there, go into the podcast section, type in Danger Room. We're the first podcast that shows up. Uh, or you can give us a phone call at 501-GET-X-MEN. That's 501-438-9636. And our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. <laughs> Take a breath. X-Factor. Before we get into X Factor, I wanna I wanna know I wanna know I'm asking the fans. Yes. All all three of you. Okay. Um and that includes myself and Jeremy. No. Um <laughs> So fan. Do uh do you care about these like recaps of other comic books around this? Because I know sometimes it's more important than other times. Like I think the X Factor stuff is pretty important. I think anything that crosses over into the fall, of the New Mutants stuff is pretty important. But what's going on in the New Mutants right now is has really no relevance at all. If we drop that, I don't think anybody would be upset. I certainly wouldn't. So I just want to know: is this a thing that you like, or should we just cut back the episodes to just the uncanny with the occasional supplemental? Just a thought. Our phone lines are open twenty four seven. If we don't hear anything, we're just cutting it all. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do 15 minutes uh, of Uncanny X-Men. We're going to do four episodes per issue. Yes. And 45 <laughs> minutes of us talking about something random. Oh, that's not a bad idea. Talk more about Ready Player One. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah. I would also be curious to to hear feedback on the supplemental X-Men slash mutant related stuff that we cover. Or maybe we do a separate podcast where the supplemental is like Danger Room Supplemental and we don't release that as often and it just comes out every so often when we can manage to scrounge together a couple of issues. What's been going on outside? Danger Room Sidecast. Yeah. yeah something like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, good. it's all good ideas. X Factor 23. Number 23. Uh, the, the X Factor has tracked down the kids to the science museum and they're going to rescue the kids. The biggest takeaway here is that, uh, and we didn't know this before, I don't think. We knew that Beast was getting stronger, but we didn't know at what cost. And in this issue, oh boy, is it drilled into you what the cost is. <laughs> I I always remembered this in my mind as kind of a slow, and it should have been slow. Uh, but 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 here's here's what's going on. Uh, the more strength that Beast uses, I guess beyond kind of his own natural ability, the more his mind is kind of eaten away from. So so he's throwing desks all over the place and picking up stuff that he shouldn't be able to to, to pick up and throw. And when he does it, he gets just a little bit dumber. And because he gets a little bit dumber, he makes more mistakes. Uh, again, this would have been something that I would have loved to see as like a like a slow buildup because uh, at the beginning of this issue, he starts out as his normal Hank McCoy articulate Hank McCoy. But through the issue, he starts using contractions and saying things like nothing and using other sort of kind of sloppy language. I would have loved to have seen that just just be touched in X Factor issues, maybe until we get to this point when he's really just dumb. But but they do it all in this issue, which 
whatever. And as I recall, he mostly gets critiqued by Cyclops, who could just keep saying, Beast, why are you doing stupid things? Yeah, it's a little bit, it's a lot of uh, Cyclops, a little bit of Iceman. Iceman, a couple of times, is like, whoa, 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 before you do that, I have a better idea. Let me do this. And Beast will be like, oh, I got to get into the lab and uh, think about <laughs> science stuff. Because he realizes what's happening and he wants to do some tests, but... You know, the more he uses his strength, the less his brain works. And so he's he's losing his ability to be able to do anything uh, scientifically. So so a lot of that happens. Uh, we know that Cameron Hodge is now the leader of the right, and he's kidnapped these kids. He wants to do experiments on them. I don't know, make them into weapons. I don't remember. doesn't matter. I don't care. Um, the X Factor eventually defeats Cameron Hodge, but it's a robot Cameron Hodge. Uh, there was another takeaway. They give... Uh... They put on Iceman a power suppression belt, but it actually enables him to regulate his powers, which I forgot that that's where the belt came from, and that's stupid. I also forgot that that's where the belt came from. I, I remembered that there was a belt, and I thought that maybe uh, the belt was given to him by Apocalypse, because usually you get your, your new costume or your power restraining. The thing that uh, is supposed to hampen, hamper your abilities but ultimately makes you better, you typically get from your enemies for some reason. Oh, well, and that, that came true at least. Remember, didn't, didn't Angel, Angel got a costume from Magneto at one point? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, Wolverine stole a costume from an enemy. From Fang. From Fang. <laughs> Weird things. Uh, also, another takeaway is that Apocalypse brings out his fourth horseman, whose name is Death, and he's blue and pink, and he's got wings, and what what the prize here is, is Apocalypse says, okay, I want all of you to fight, and whoever wins becomes the leader. So the first three horsemen are like, alliance, alliance, we three will be the leader, I guess, of him. Well, they were like, we'll figure out, let's finish him off first, and then we'll battle each other. Yeah, uh, but that, there's no time for that. Uh, the death here is Jesus crazy fast and crazy powerful, and he's able to disable war and uh, knock over famine and pestilence and whatever. He's got a full face skull cap, which I love. And Apocalypse is like, all right, death, you will lead the horsemen is weird because wouldn't apocalypse be the leader i guess angel or i'm sorry death not angel i don't know why i said that uh death what <laughs> i guess death would be the um field commander right i guess i wonder what what is so desirable about being leader anyways just, I, just to, you get to call the shots <laughs> just to boss people around well, anyways, the uh, X Factor rescues the kids. They destroy. Well, Cameron Hodge turns out to be a robot, as I said. They drop the building. I think uh, on they, they try to drop the building on top of X Factor, but X Factor escapes. And as they're kind of just standing around, being like, "Well, what are we gonna do?" X Factor uh, Apocalypse throws a crank, and uh, the X Factor guys are teleported away. And leaving just the kids behind. Uh, and I assume that Caliban is in there with them as well because they brought him on the mission. And so. then what is it, Rusty, who says, that reminds me of the time that the three horsemen of the apocalypse got zapped away. Oh, right. On TV, remember? And Boom Boom says, three horsemen of apocalypse. That's not right. Weren't there supposed to be four? <gasps> There were, Boom Boom, and now there are. Next issue, X-Factor versus Apocalypse and his four horsemen, Pestilence, Famine, War, and Death. In case you 
didn't know all of that information. <laughs> there it is. Dun, dun, dun. So Fall of the Mutants is totally happening. Yeah, it's next issue. Cha. Well, for the X-Men at least. And I guess for X-Factor. Not really for New Mutants, but sort of. <laughs> um, Power Pack 33. Did you read this one? I flipped through it. I thought it was cute. I didn't really read yeah, much of it, though. This was actually a big, this was a fun issue. Um, it was kind of dumb, but dumb in sort of the best way that comics can be. It takes place in between Fallen Angels 8 and New Mutants 59, as Roberto and Warlock are not quite heading back to the New Mutants quite yet, because Roberto wants to do one good deed to just kind of prove that he's sort of a hero. Um, and I like, he just he keeps screwing it up. I like how the comic opens on page one. You get uh, Warlock doing a classic R. Crumb pose there. With the tip of the hat to R. Crumb? Yeah, it even says it right there. <laughs> I didn't see that until just now. I just like, hey, look, <laughs> Warlock's walking like an R. Crumb character. Dun-dun-dun. Anyways, that, that part was fun. And uh, so, yeah, he, he Roberto keeps trying to be a hero, but he keeps ending up messing up. And causing things to get be worse, they attack Spider-Man at one point. He has a little cameo. Um, so the the uh, Franklin and the Power Pack decide to help out, and they create a supervillain for Roberto to fight. And um, it's obviously one of Power Pack, but Roberto doesn't realize that because he wants to win so bad. And then he ends up almost killing uh, Julie. And then he's like, I can't even do that right. And then finally, Warlock says, all right, I've had enough of this. And he just grabs Roberto and puts him inside of his rocket ship form and takes off. We're going back to the Mutants. <laughs> and that's it. And it was funny. Yeah. And then in New Mutants number 59, uh, they do arrive back and Robert and uh, Magneto's like, hey, where you guys been? Let me go get the New Mutants. They'll be so happy to see you. But they're not there. Oh, no. And it turns out the New Mutants are somewhere. <laughs> I think this is why I never got into New Mutants is because by the time I started reading it, it was this, which is just like weird creatures. It, I have mixed feelings about this because like there are parts of this that have really grown on me, but other parts of it where I'm just, I just don't get it. <laughs> it. It doesn't appeal to me in any way, shape or form. So there are all of these um, mutant sort of animal slash humans that are being created by this guy who's, I don't know, he's like Dr. Animus. And apparently Animus also reports to Cameron Hodge. Because we have to tie in somehow. Oh, I think, I feel like new, yeah, I feel like New Mutants ties into Cameron Hodge on the right, but I never, I'll be honest, I never read any of uh, New Mutants, Follow the Mutants, so. I have a feeling Cameron Hodge and the right are going to show up in the next issue. Ah, okay. And maybe the next actually even says that. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Next has a one of the smiley face guys. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm remembering. So if you don't know what that is, you're only reading New Mutants. You're just like, oh, interesting. It's a smiley face guy. Uh, anyway, Dr. Animus is creating these uh, animal men for some reason, and he's a real jerk. Uh, he's putting them through their paces. He's very abusive. Uh, he puts the New Mutants through their paces and makes them fight some of the animal things. He strips away Bird Brain's New Mutants outfit, saying that he's not worthy of a costume. And um, that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, I guess by the end of it, he captures all of the New Mutants. So they're in danger again. 
Uh-oh. So I've grown to really like the bird brain stuff, even though it gets repetitive. The last couple of issues have kind of been the same thing over and over again. I liked that once, not so much twice. But this, I, I don't, I, maybe I'll grow to like this Dr. Animus story, but I just don't like it. I like the art. He's creepy. Yeah, no, uh, it's Brett Blevins, who I, I'm not too terribly familiar with, but the art in the entire issue, it, it, it looks good. It's well colored and inked and stuff. Except for yeah. his Magneto. His Magneto is like an anime Magneto. I don't know. It, it His drawing of Magneto kind of fits in with the rest of the art style, so... That's true. I'm cool with it. It, it is weird. Uh, if you just saw it out of place of the comic, you'd be like, well, that's a bad drawing of Magneto. That's true. But in, in context, like, oh, okay, it all works. So Daredevil 249, um, Wolverine and Daredevil are both going after this Bushwhacker guy. I think his name is Bushwhacker. Yes. Yes, it is. Bushwhacker is killing mutants, but not just any ordinary mutants. He's killing mutants whose abilities are talents. So they, uh, so like he kills a musician, he kills a ballet dancer, he kills um, this other lady. What was her power? Oh, she's just sort of sort of artist. I guess she does drawings that are super cool. And Bushwhacker transforms his arm into a gun, and that's kind of his thing. Um, then we get the usual thing where Daredevil's like, we can't kill people, and Wolverine says, yeah, we have to kill people. The Wolverine in the first few pages is pretty well written, and then at the end of the first few pages he says, I'm going to kill you, Bushwhacker, before you can kill again. My way, Wolverine's way. And there's this weird kind of moment where he transitions out from being Wolverine to being Berserker Wolverine as though he has control over that, and it's weird. Right. I, I, I think Louis uh, – Anna Senti. I was about to say Louis Simonson. Anna Senti gets both versions of Wolverine but doesn't quite fundamentally know how to use them correctly. This is what happens when any other writer does a one-shot of Wolverine. They want to use all of Wolverine. This is surprisingly better, though. Like, usually Wolverine is one-dimensional. This this Wolverine is mostly one-dimensional, but occasionally well, the Wolverine that we know. Hmm. She just doesn't know how to work the two together, I guess. She, she doesn't know what t- the twist is to make Wolverine go from one to the other. So you end up with Daredevil and Wolverine arguing a lot about whether or not they should kill Bushwhacker. And um, they, of course, don't because they're heroes. Uh, I think they end up stopping him at any rate. And the cops show up. And Wolverine says, Daredevil, you and I, we're two different kinds of animals. And that's it. (laughs) And Wolverine also says, Blast! I want to kill him! But he doesn't. Something Wolverine I don't think would say. But, you know. For the most, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't. It was. A, it was a good issue of Daredevil. Not a great outing for Wolverine. I'll put it that way. I guess Anna Senti is is a pretty uh, is one of the important Daredevil writers. Okay. Uh, uh, didn't somebody else? What's his face? Write Daredevil. Uh, well, Frank Miller is yes, like Frank the one Miller. that is is probably the best known. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis for a while wrote Daredevil. His run is supposed to be really good. I've just never really gotten into Daredevil. I don't know why. It's sort of like Spider-Man. I guess I'm just not into uh, one-off kind of single superheroes. Oh, sure. Although I've always liked the Hulk, but then the Hulk is not really a superhero, not a traditional superhero. And neither neither is Wolverine, I suppose. It seems to me that whenever there's a Hulk issue, uh, it features other Marvel Universe characters. Maybe that's not how it is all all the time. Well, you know. That's every time we do one, so the X-Men are usually in it. Yeah. 
So uh, I always like Deathlock. One of these days I, I want to buy or find or download or something all of the Deathlock material and reread it and see if it holds up. But I'm sure there will be a uh, epic collection Deathlock that will collect all of that stuff for you at some point. I think there's there's already a... I don't know if it's a, a an omnibus, but there's a couple trade paperbacks that exist already because there was all of the, there's the Deathlock that existed before my Deathlock, which is all in pages of Captain America and other Marvel monthly books. All of those are collected in one place, and then there's a four part miniseries. Then I think there might be another four part miniseries, and then there's the ongoing series, which probably only lasted like twenty issues. Somehow, at some point, I'd like to get all those. Do you have all 20 of those issues? I know you had the first few. Uh, no, I probably have like the first 10 or 11 issues. And then well, if we, if we stick with our supplemental bits, we'll probably be covering those. I know some of them had X-Men in the early days. Some of them had Wolverine, I think. I don't know if they had other X-Men. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And then and I was also, then I went down the rabbit hole of Deathlock. I was like, I wonder if there's any old school like Marvel Legends Deathlock figures, and of course there are, and they're actually not that expensive. But I'm like, ah, do I need more crap in my house? So I haven't <laughs> bought it. So anyhow, yeah, there you go. So uh, follow the mutants, right? Or do we have more supplemental stuff? No, we're done with supplemental stuff. So follow the mutants next next episode. It begins. It, it, yeah, it 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 begins next next month. It'll be interesting to see uh, because of what happens during Fall of the Mutants. I have to imagine that the crossovers kind of die down for a while. Although I think Wolverine shows up all over the place. Yeah. I mean, and and I'm probably a lot of it is like, this takes place in between issue so-and-so and issue so-and-so. True. But, you know, we're not going to worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> for instance, this issue of Daredevil, who knows when this took place? Uh, probably, probably before X-Men 224. Probably. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. All right, then, everybody. Uh, until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. Mm-hmm.